Good morning. <laughs> there we go. Good morning, church. Welcome to CIV. Happy Sunday. Happy second Sunday of the year. Um, it's good to be back with you all. If you guys want to start, if you're in person, gathering into your seats. Um, there are lyric sheets over there as well as online at civlhamra.com forward slash Sunday. If you're joining us online, you can find our lyric sheets there. Um, and we hope that you guys are getting settled in, getting ready for worship. But uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump into worship. You guys can stand with us and sing.
Well, we're going to jump into a, a new song real quick, but I wanted to uh, read a passage from Isaiah. And this is sort of a song of renewal, a passage of renewal. As we read it, it says, speaking about the Messiah, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And this is the part we're going to sing. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And as we sing the song and enter this new year, my hope and my prayer is that we enter this with a sense of expectancy, knowing that our God is the God who takes old things and makes them new, who created the initial creation out of nothing, and that he can redeem even the situation that our world finds ourselves in, that he will make all things new. Let's sing this one.
turn morning to dancing. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. morning everyone. Oh, echo. Welcome to Church in the Valley. In case you don't know me, my name is Jonathan Rickert and we're really glad that you're here to join us whether here in person or online. Um, I just want to let you know about some of the things we have coming up. But first of all, special welcome to all our guests. If you are a guest with us here this morning, we just want to really thank you for checking us out. And we have a special gift for you. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough. You can pick up a copy of that book over here at this table with a blue tablecloth. There's also some other valuable resources on there. Now, for singing this morning, as well as listening to our message, you can go to www civalhambra.com slash Sunday for the song lyrics, also for our sermon notes. Now, if you want to get a hard copy of those, you can just go ahead and go over to that table. Now, at that table, we also have our offering bucket. You can go ahead and go over there and put your offering in. There's connection cards over there as well. And then you can continue to give online and fill out your connection card online too. 
Now, we have something going on, which we've been announcing the past couple weeks. It's our special Christmas offering. So this is something that we do together as a church to really celebrate the gift that God gave us. And it's a special offering above our tithes that we put together to really bless local ministries, ministries throughout the region, and, in, and including ministries across the world. Um, so right now, our goal is $18,000, and we have raised $6,938 towards that. We're going to be collecting that offering till the end of January. So I really just encourage you to take some time and just pray how God might want to use you to bless these ministries. Again, here locally in the region and just throughout the world, a way that we can bless them and continue to be a part of the work that they're doing, really trying to help people come to know who Jesus is and to really change their lives. So we're collecting that through the end of January. Please pray through that. And then finally, we actually have a great service opportunity coming up with one of our sister churches, Valley Lights. If you guys remember Barry and Holly Rogers, who are part of our church, who are part of the planting of that church, that church has been doing monthly services, getting ready for this month where they are going to start their weekly services. And that's going to be on January 24th. But in preparation for that, they're doing some more door hangers. So on January, let's look for the dates here, 16th and the 23rd, 16th and the 23rd, those are two Saturdays from 9 a.m. till noon. We're going to be, there's an opportunity to pass out door hangers throughout the Santa Clarita area just to invite people to come join that church. So if you'd be interested in helping serve uh, by passing out door hangers, please mark on your connection card. We will get information to you. And that's just also something that you can be praying about. There's their uh, grand opening service coming up on sen Sunday, January 24th. Now, we're going to go ahead and sing another song of worship, and then Rick Durst is going to come up and give us a message.
just that you are with us, God, through this new year of 2021, God. God, I just want to really thank you that we can have confidence and joy, and we can have hope, Father, in you. And I just really thank you, God, Just and just pray, God, please guide us through this new year of 2021. And I just really pray that we would get our strength from you and our delight. Help us to delight in you. And thank you so much, God, that you walk with us through this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how did the first week of 2021 go for you? It's, it's good to be here. Um, I think that uh, last week we started this series on startup, four uh, sermons on uh, starting up 2021. And we saw some episodes, uh, you know, in Washington. And I thought, well, last week's theme was sort of seek a better country. And uh, we were kind of put on notice that we need to find that better country that the Lord has in mind for us. Uh, grateful for that. And this week, I want to talk about how to read like Jesus. Uh, several months ago, uh, my kindergarten granddaughter read for the first time, where she made out the words and started reading. And it was a great moment for the family. Um, and, you know, maybe your kids are reading, reading it for or whatever. But um, learning to read. And many people uh, take up the Bible and start reading it, but they're not reading it like Jesus reads it. And so that's what I want to look at. Uh, I want to tag a little thing on, on Kate's prayer. So if we could pray just for a moment. Lord, thank you so much for the prayer we've already had, for the worship for gathering us again together. Uh, thank you for each person that's here, Lord, whether they're here virtually, so to speak, or in person. May your spirit come upon them because we need to hear from you, Lord. We need your word to be unzipped and spoken into our lives so that we are illuminated in a fresh and powerful way so that we're ready for the, the people that you've made appointment with for the week ahead that we might know in a fresh and unique and wonderful way how much you love us, Jesus, and we can respond with how much we love you. Open your word now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may have um, the 
uh, sermon notes online or you picked up a hard copy or you may just want to open your New Testament to Matthew chapter 5 because I would like us to climb a mountain here this morning, the, the sermon on the mountain, so to speak, uh, because it's in that, uh, those three chapters that we can learn to read like Jesus. Now, I just want to look at uh, seven or eight verses right there in that first chapter uh, in order to understand there's three different ways to read scripture, at least as Jesus describes it in this uh, sort of lecture. So we're going to kind of walk through the Sermon on the Mount in this part and sort of have a experience in a fresh way, a, a flash experience of Jesus' teaching. Uh, a flash seminary, if it, as it were, or a class in hermeneutics, which is the Greek word for interpretation. How do you interpret scripture? Uh, at, at least according to the way that Jesus does it. Now, you know, probably in the Sermon on the Mount, it starts out with these beatitudes. Um, and those are points of grace that God wants us to stand on. Uh, if you fly into the uh, airport in Frankfurt, it's a massive airport and in Frankfurt in Germany. But there is a Treffpunkt. There is a place, a spot to meet up with people. And so I'll meet you at the Treffpunkt. And so you go there. Well, these are like eight grace points where you meet up with God's great pleasure, his great forgiveness, his grace in Christ. So you may want to refresh yourself uh, with those uh, Beatitudes. Uh, but then... When you get down to verse 13, as this flash lecture is going on on the mountaintop, uh, Jesus says to those who are listening, you, 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 you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled by men. You, you, you are the light of the world. And a, light, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so that's sort of the introduction to the lecture that Jesus is going to give on how to read Scripture. How to read like Jesus. Now that phrase, how do you read it? If uh, you were to go to a rabbinical school, that's what the professor would always say. How do you read it? Meaning that in this particular text that's under study, how do you interpret it? How do you understand it? How do you read it? Um, and so Jesus is going to teach us that very thing. So verse 17. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. You know, Jesus is the new rabbi on the block. And whenever a new rabbi would show up, often they'd try to run him out of town. They actually tried to run Jesus out of his hometown uh, when he was teaching as the, as the rabbi, uh, taking the place of a rabbi. And uh, so don't assume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, if you're not familiar with this kind of language, law means the first five books in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, it's the word Torah. You may have heard that word. Torah doesn't just mean law. It's more than law. It's also instruction. Uh, so the law and the prophets. So if you were in an 
a discussion, a debate, an argument with a rabbi, um, the, the strongest evidence for your case would be made from the Torah, the first five books. Um, also nearly as strong would be the prophets. And so uh, you have major prophets and minor prophets in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Malachi, and the like. Uh, so these spokesperson that are recorded in Scripture. You know, that's why it's, you know, Jesus is encouraging us to have a working, wonderful knowledge of what we call the Old Testament. Uh, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. To accomplish it. To fill it up. That's a very important word to Jesus. Uh, with reference to reading, I assure you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Now, if we were a Hebrew class, you would learn that there's a, a, a yod and a tittle, these little pointings in the Hebrew vocabulary that determine uh, certain letters. And that's what Jesus is talking about. None of that's going to pass away. Everything is important. And to fulfill it, you've got to find what's the significance. What's the spirit of this passage? We'll talk about that in, in a little bit more in a second. Therefore, and here comes the three ways of reading scripture. Um, therefore, whoever breaks the least of these commands and teaches them to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's first way. Sort of relaxing. Now, in rabbinical school, you'd be taught that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 327 don'ts and 286 do's. Now, even Jesus says some of these have, are more weightier than the others. In Matthew 23, 23, um, he is uh, correcting uh, the scribes and Pharisees. And it's sort of, whoa, 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 you go. Uh, and then he, he throws this in. You've neglected the weightier issue. So we are encouraged to decide and, and to weigh which is weightier, which is not so weighty. And not as if we need to find the things we don't need to pay attention to. Everything is important according to Jesus, but we need to weigh things. All right, so having said that. But some people approach Scripture as if they get to decide what should be Scripture and what should not be Scripture. And so they just ignore. They just relax. They just let it go. Um, now, the rabbis also taught that Deuteronomy, you might want to look this up. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 6 and 7, um, are, is the least commandment. Well, what's that commandment? It's really an ecological commandment. Uh, let me read it to you. By the way, just for interest's sake, you know, a lot of people don't like this book. A lot of people want to discredit this book. And they'll pick out little, little commandments and say, can you believe that tell them to do that? That's nonsense. And they completely throw out the major because of some minor that they're reading. And most of those minor commandments are in this chapter. Um, but it says this. If anyone comes across a bird's nest with chicks or eggs, either in a tree or on the ground on the road, the mother is sitting on the chicks or the eggs, and the mother is sitting on the chicks or the eggs, you must not take the mother along with the young. Okay. Why is that important? 
Uh, you, you see why they called it the least commandment, but why is it important? Well, do you remember the scripture says that God is going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Have you ever seen pictures? Have you ever been to Israel? Have you ever gone around there? It doesn't look to me like a land flowing with milk and honey. It looks more like a desert. Well, let's think about this. If I take the hen and the eggs, if I take the, the mother and the chicks, what do birds eat? Birds eat bugs. Well, if you kill off the bird life or greatly diminish the bird life, who's going to eat the bugs? And what do bugs eat? Well, bugs eat crops. Bugs eat anything green. You know, we just had a, a locust plague. Um, and actually, when locusts swarm, it actually changes um, their nature and the way they work together. Uh, they become more beastly uh, and, and consuming. And I wonder if that kind of happened. Because they didn't obey the least commandment, uh, the capacity of Israel to produce was reduced. Least commandments are important. Uh, so back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says this. Um, so we're not going, to, the way I interpret scripture, the, Jesus, the way I read scripture is I'm not going to cross out anything. I'm not going to relax anything. Everything's going to be fulfilled. But then look, look what he says. Uh, and by the way, I think another really important, two, two small points here. Um, when he says um, that uh, whoever breaks, breaks the least of these commands, and then he says as a phrase, and teaches people to do so. So it really is like a rabbinical school. Because you're not just learning it for yourself. You're going to be teaching others also. You know it makes a difference. How you take notes. How you think about things. If it's just for you. But if it's your job. According to the Lord. To teach others also. And he's going to repeat this phrase three times. He's expecting you to be persons of influence. You're going to influence others. Um. So he says, uh, therefore, whoever breaks the least of these commandments, teach other peace, people to do so, will be called least in the kingdom. Okay, question. It says they'll be called least in the kingdom. So are they in the kingdom or not? Are they in the kingdom or not? Now, Jesus said they'd be least in the kingdom. And that, that sense of not having much gravitas, not having much stature, not having much influence in spiritual things. But you are in the kingdom. You know, taking the back seat, taking the least seat. And then he comes back and he says, But whoever practiced these commands um, will be called great in the kingdom. Uh, of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses those of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. So, first way that Jesus says that people are interpreting scripture is to relax the ones that you don't think are very important. But Jesus said every single word is important. Now, we need to weigh the, the amount of importance, but to treat every word as important. Um, his way is to fulfill the spirit intended in every command. Nothing's to be overlooked until all is fulfilled. 
And that's the way to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, I think all of us are aware of our level of influence in spiritual things. And as we live in the spirit of the word, the spirit of the teaching, the spirit of scripture, we take on stature. We take on what Jesus calls greatness. The way to be great in spiritual things is to take God's word seriously. You take God's word seriously by looking for the spirit of it. Now I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. But then, you know, we know that there's a historical record both inside the scripture and outside the scripture that Jesus was crucified. And when you hear this next phrase, you might ask, it's not a wonder if Jesus was crucified. It's a wonder he was not crucified sooner. Because look what he says. For I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're not talking about a least in the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about not in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what Jesus has done here is he has turned, so to speak, the food chain of life upside down. In a, a, the Jewish person living in Palestine in this day, they would have put the scribes and the Pharisees at the top of the righteousness food chain. They're going to be first into the kingdom. They're going to go to the front of the line. But Jesus says they're going to be kicked out of the line. Because of the way they interpret scripture. Well, what would be so offensive about their way of interpreting scripture? Well, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Now, your notes are wrong. I put 316 in the notes. It should be 36. It talks about there is a, a letter of the law that kills the spirit. There is a, a way of interpreting scripture that kills the spirit. Now, Jesus wants to go the other way. He wants to build up the spirit. He wants us to grow, but this kills the spirit. Well, how does that work exactly? Well, um, by the time I got to middle school, or actually, by the time I got to high school, uh, my, my mother and, and father had split, and so my mom was running a single-parent home with four kids. And I'm the firstborn son uh, but my, my sister's older than me. And my mom was very clear about giving us instructions. And I remember her telling me, Rick, I want you to wash the dishes. Now, what do you think? Now, I, I didn't want to wash the dishes. But my mom said to do it. It's my job before she gets home. So I know she's going to be home at 5 o'clock. And... I'm thinking about what she said. Rick, wash the dishes. Now, when I went into the kitchen, guess what? There were more than dishes there. There was silverware. There were pots and pans. Now, when my mom got home at 5 o'clock, let's suppose just the dishes were washed and the pots and pans and the silverware were in the sink. And she said, I thought I told you to wash the dishes. And let's suppose I said to back to her, Mom, I washed the dishes. You didn't say anything about the silverware. You didn't say anything about wiping down the table. You didn't say anything about the pots and pans. Do you think that would fly? No. 
I would die. <laughs> this this uh, letter of the law approach. Now, some of you know this happens at work all the time. There are people who really don't like the vision, they don't like the direction of the company, and they just try to figure out what is the least they can do to be entitled to continue to work there. And man, I don't like working with those people. Um, and they're just kind of subversive and compliant. And God does not want to work with those kind of people in his kingdom either. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees did. Now, I'll show you that in, in just a minute, but I, I think you get a feel for that. Now, something could happen to you. Something can happen to me. If Christ gets a hold of me, if the Spirit makes me aware of how much I need God's work in my life and Christ's death for me so my sins could be forgiven and God can dwell in me eternally, when that happens, I can live in the Spirit and, and, and be, fulfill, be fulfilling the Scriptures. So, after that happened to me, my mom said, Rick, I want you to wash the dishes. And I was kind of under new management now. You know, the Lord's my boss. And so I went into the kitchen, and this is like, it's in the summer, it's in Riverside, so it's, it's above 100. And we didn't have air conditioning, we just those swamp coolers. So it's hot in the kitchen. And I'm looking at the dishes, I'm looking at the pots and pans, I'm looking at the silverware. And so I, I did all that. And I did it with hot, soapy water. I did it all. I think I even dried them and put them away. And then I looked up. And in the, in the kitchen, the paint that was up there is that kind of, um, you know, shiny paint that can, uh, you can wash it. And I noticed it had not been washed in a long time. And in that moment, I realized what had happened to me. Um, up until then, I had been undermining my mom's authority in my brother's eyes. And what had happened under this new management, now I became my mother's servant. And I looked up and I thought, I'm going to wash that ceiling. I'm going to get those brown spots off, especially the ones that are over the oven, the stove. And I went in the, in the garage, got a ladder. I found some cleaning supplies. I'll tell you one other really crazy thing I did. We only had one Christian album in our house. It was by a guy named Tennessee Ernie Ford. Now, if you don't know who that is, Google it and you'll see how crazy it was. I put that on and I'm cleaning the ceiling and then my two brothers come in and they're watching me like I have come from Mars. I'm listening to some crazy music that my grandparents gave us. I'm on the top of the ladder in the hot kitchen and I'm cleaning the ceiling. They didn't know what to do. I think they just backed out carefully. But when my mom came, it was all done. And she knew I was under new management. And she had a supporter in the home now. Um, now that's the difference between the letter of the law that kills and the spirit that gives life. And when you or I act like that in the home or in the workplace or in the school place, I remember in chemistry class, the, the chemistry professor, he would 
he would give you this lab that you had to do. You had to write up the lab, and then you could get a check minus, a check, or a check plus. And I got nothing but checks, and it made me mad. And I said, okay. We were working on Boyle's Law, whatever that is, right? And I, I started working on this and then worked through the experiment, started writing it up, started writing it up, and all of a sudden I saw why he assigned this. I rediscovered Boyle's Law. And I wrote it up, turned it in. Guess what? Check plus. That's what the teacher is looking for. The teacher is looking for guys and gals who get the spirit of the experiment and they'll rediscover and that's what God is looking for that we will live that same way you know that's why Jesus was so excited about that story of the uh, the Samaritan the good Samaritan who on that that road not only helped the guy who had been beaten up and robbed he sort of robbed himself to take care of him and, and, and took care of him like he was his dearest friend, like his brother. He went to the spirit of it. That's what God is looking for. That's what God wants to put in our hearts through Christ. Okay, now, we have some idea of how to, Jesus wants us to read, but let's look at his example. Um, I personally believe that in L.A., the person's most likely in L.A. to know the Ten Commandments are sitting right in front of me or right on that camera. I think it's highly more likely that you will know the Ten Commandments than anybody else I meet in Alhambra today. Now, if I was to ask you or ask anybody on the street, do you know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I know the Ten Commandments. Well, give me one. Almost everybody will know one commandment. What's that commandment? Thou shalt not, I think I heard it already. Don't kill. Don't murder. Almost everybody knows it. You probably come up with one or two others. Now, you and I, we should know all ten in the right order and why it's the right order. But, won't go there right now. So, Jesus takes up that commandment. Look what happens in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so if I'm going to interpret that by the letter of the law, I can do anything I want to you, just don't kill you. I can call you anything I want, I can do you dirty, just don't kill you, and then I've satisfied it. It's as if I can say to God, look, I did exactly what you asked, I did not murder. You know, I was a hateful person, um, I was a spiteful person, but I didn't kill anybody. You got to let me into heaven. Do you think God's going to do that? I don't think so. So how did Jesus say to do it? But whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So if you do break this physically, you'll be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother fool will be subject to the Sanhedrin. That's their high, Supreme Court. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. Gehenna fire. Well, that's interesting. Why would Jesus say that? Remember, he's going to interpret by the Spirit. Uh, any of you in law enforcement, you know this. That nobody gets out of bed in the morning and say, I'm just going to go kill somebody. 
by the way, more murders happen in the bedroom and the kitchen than any other place. That means that anger builds up and it gets to that. So if murder is a destination, the highway to that hell is called anger. And if I'm going to live in anger, I might end up at that destination. Because the off-ramp to murder is anger. Now, there's a lot of reasons to be angry. Um, And there's a lot of biblical passages, sort of a psychology, a theology of how to handle anger. I printed some of those out there for you. Uh, You might like them. Um, Greater is he who controls himself than he who controls the city. It's better to be patient than to be powerful. Or in Proverbs 22, do not befriend one who has a bad temper. Never keep company with a hothead or you'll learn his ways and set a snare for yourself. Now, 30 second interpretation of that. Um, People who are hotheads that lose their temper, it's because they're always on simmer. Think about it. They've been simmering because of something that was done to them. And what you did or what they think you did just raised their temperature enough to make it boil over. Now, I, ha- I had oatmeal this morning. You've got to watch that oatmeal or it'll boil over. And then it's a big fat mess. A lot of people are just like that oatmeal. They're simmering. And if you add just a couple more degrees, the boil over happens. By the way, if you are dating... Or married to a hot-tempered person, male or female. can go either way. What life becomes like living in a minefield. Because if dinner isn't out on the table at 6 o'clock, boom, there's an explosion. If the wrench is not put back in the proper place, in the to- boom. Had a friend who has, um, she's got problems in both arms, hands. Because when she lost her temper, she always hit her windshield. She even cracked her windshield. And she did it so often, now she's got lots of problems with arthritis. Um, The problem with living in a minefield with somebody's hot temper is you know where all the mines are buried after a while. And you spend all your time trying to avoid those. And it feels like you're getting choked to death. Um... I don't think I have time for this story, so I'll, I'll skip that story and just, just come, go back. Next verse. Uh, be angry, do not sin. I, is it possible to live in L.A. without getting angry? It's okay to be angry. Jesus said, it's, gonna, it's natural. Um, now, what you do with your anger is another thing. Be angry, but don't sin. So, anger is not bad. Uh, In fact, there's a place in Scripture where it says, if you're not angry about this, you're in sin. You know, there is a righteous anger. Injustice. We should be angry about that. We should speak up about that. Prejudice, discrimination. We're going to talk next week about that uh, more specifically. Um, We should be angry about that. We should act upon that. We should speak up about that. Um, But how you manage your anger... 
needs to be done according to Scripture. So be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Does anybody know what time the sun is setting today? You should look it up on your phone right now because this Scripture says, if you're mad, get rid of it before the sun goes down. Why? Because if you leave anger sitting out, it turns to bitterness. You know, anger becomes bitterness and bitterness goes down and it defiles the family. It defiles the church. It defiles the business. You know, to be in a, a, an angry, bitter place around a bitter person is not good. It's not healthy. Um, they fail to obtain the grace of God. This would be a gracious place. Okay, you get angry. What Deal with it. I remember one time uh, went to a, a leadership meeting at our church and we were all sitting there and a guy came in just a little bit late. He sat down. And we started processing, and this guy came in angry. And he was acting angry. And, and I didn't know if this was going to work or not, okay? But I said, Jim, it seems to me you're angry. I get that. But as best I can tell, I didn't do it to you, and nobody here in this room did it to you, but you're taking it out on us. Let me just ask if you could just put your anger away so we can have our meeting without your anger. And he looks at me, and you know what he did? He put his anger away, and we had our meeting. <clears throat> People can do that, and they might need you to say that. You may need to say it to yourself. All right. Um, so how does Jesus go on here? He says, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge the officer. You'll be thrown into prison and I assure you, you'll never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. So what is Jesus saying? Um, Jesus does not want us to slip into religiosity. Religiosity is when people put religion in front of righteousness. They put ritual before relationship. Relationship should come first. <clears throat> now, they told us that the, the bucket over there for the offering is, is over there. But if you've got somebody over here who is offended at you, don't go to the bucket until you've gone to them first and work it out. Work it out. Reconcile. Have a conversation. And if you need some help, get a couple of other people that they respect and, and, and work it out. Practice that kind of gentle admonishment that we talked about before Christmas. Jesus is saying to us, if we find ourselves on the road called anger, our job is to pull off, pull over, make a U-turn, and get on the road called reconciliation. That's the road that leads to heaven. That's the road that makes you great in the kingdom of heaven. That you don't pride yourself on how righteous and angry you can be, but you 
you, you take joy in reconciliation because that's what God has done. He takes joy in reconciliation with us. Even though we've offended him, he comes after us in Christ to reconcile with us. He doesn't want us to end up under judgment. He wants to see reconciliation. Um, years ago, somebody, let's tell this story and we'll, we'll close. Um, somebody wrote my telephone number on a men's room in some place in Needles, California. So I get a phone call from the jail. This guy calls me up and says, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I know you're a pastor and I know you help people. I'm in trouble. I'm in jail. I'm in jail at the Sonoma County holding facility. Will you come see me? So I went to see him. This guy had been using his shotgun to rob theaters and uh, drive-in theaters, if you know what that is. And it turns out he was a construction worker, heavy equipment, and he had lost his job. And so he needed to get money to pay his bills, put food on the table, and this is the best he could come up with, was robbing drive-in theaters. Well, while he was in jail, he heard the gospel. He heard that Christ died for sinners. Died for people who made poor choices and did wrong things. And he said, that's me. And so he gave his life to Christ, and he says, now, I've given my life to Christ. I'm a new person. And in his newness, he thought that would give him a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I said, I believe you are a new person, that all things pass away. All things become new. But that judge doesn't know if you're a new person or not. And if you are a new person, you're going to walk in the light. You're not going to hide what you've done. You're going to confess it. Now, in the American criminal justice system, pleading guilty doesn't work that well. But that's what you're going to have to do. Okay, so we got done. Court case came up. I went down to uh, see how it was going to go. And um, the judge read out the charges. And he asked... This, friend, this guy, he, he said, uh, Your Honor, could I, could I say something? And uh, he, he basically told the judge what I just shared with you. And, and he said, Now, Your Honor, there's no way you can know if I'm a new person, except if I tell you, you have charged me with these robberies, but actually... It wasn't five robberies. It was six. And he confessed in court to the sixth robbery. And so the judge says to him, Robert, I believe you are a new person. I don't think you have jailhouse religion. I think you have real religion. I think you have become a Christian. And I'm going to recognize that. So what I'm going to sentence you to is uh, probation. And I'm going to charge you with paying back everything you stole. And I don't want to see you in court again. That's what Jesus is talking about. Where you and I make a U-turn. 
we walk in the light, we live in the light, we practice reconciliation, not ret ret you know, retribution, not vindication. We practice reconciliation. Vengeance is the Lord's. I'm going to leave it to him. He will take care of it. I need to do the right thing. I need to do the Jesus thing. Because Jesus has done the Jesus thing for me. So that I can find forgiveness and I can stop hating. I can stop lying. And I can start living. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for taking us to the mountain today. For letting us learn how to read Jesus like you read the scripture. So that we can fulfill it. We can quit ignoring it. We can let it make our lives fulfilled. So that we can start driving on the road of reconciliation. And get our religion right by putting relationships with you. With each other. Before right ritual. Lord, if there's a person here today who is like my friend Robert in jail, who needs a sense, an experience of forgiveness, who needs uh, and wants a do-over, a restart with you and with life, may they embrace Christ, the forgiver of their sin, who's paid the price for their sin, and sent your Holy Spirit moving into their life to make them new. And may others around them see very quickly they're under new management. They're under the Lord's help and hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rick. As we, uh, we're going to spend some time to reflect on that, to meditate on the message today, uh, I encourage you guys to fill out your connection cards and to drop them off in the buckets over there. If you're online, you can fill them out online. Let us know what your next steps are so we can be praying for you and um, help you along with that. Uh, take some time to think and to pray. Changing heart in the good day. 